The scripture reading for this morning is from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 10, uh, the verses, the first eight verses. And uh, when you've found that, please stand with me. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Maybe see Thanks, Howard, Thanks, Patrick, and Tracy, and Brendan, Adriana. Those same verses that Howard just read for us, that's our text for today, Acts 10, 1 through 8. Our title and our focus of our message this morning is that simple truth that people need Jesus. That's the title of this message, and that's our focus for this morning. Uh, Let me open with a word of prayer as well, and uh, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together in His Word. I know we've already prayed, but let's let's pray again. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Father, each one of us is coming to this place with different things going on in our lives and different lives that we've lived, but Your Word has a way to reach into each one of our lives and to touch us right where we need to hear from you. Father, I pray that that would happen this morning. Father, I pray as your word is proclaimed, your people are built up and uh, your church is strengthened and um, we leave this place rejoicing in what Christ has done on our behalf. The truth is, Father, we need you. Um, We need you in this moment to guide and direct my words, my thoughts, and our thinking with regard to what's before us. And so we give this time to you now and ask that you would be pleased with what's proclaimed and our response to it. Help us to be active listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, thought about titling this The Curious Case of Cornelius the Centurion, but <laughs> Jesus, this is all about Jesus. People need the Lord. Uh, Barbara Streisand, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's a secular singer. I don't know if she's a believer or not, but she's famous for a song, and you might be familiar with it, People Who Need People. And I thought I would try and sing that to you, People Who Need People, and she goes on singing about that, right? (laughs) She is Jewish, yeah, that's right. She needs the Lord. She's a person who probably needs the Lord. We all do. Um, But... More than people needing people, people need food, people need water, people need clothes. People have a lot of needs, but the greatest need people have is this, 
People need the Lord. They need Jesus. That's the greatest need they have. You know, if, if you've been taking notice, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've come to this point, you'd, you'd notice that this is a major event in the book of Acts. It's a major event in the history of the church. And Peter has been set back before us. He's been off the scene for a little bit. He came back onto the scene last week. Not that he's not been active. He has been. But Luke uh, puts him before us again. He becomes prominent in the narrative and will continue to be so through Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, and most of chapter 12. Uh, I should have said before I began that next week, Cindy and I won't be here, so Patrick will be preaching. Uh, he'll pick up where I, where, wherever I leave off here. And so look forward to that. I do as well. Um, but God is going to... And, 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 and Peter's become prominent because God is going to open a door of faith to the Gentiles and Peter's going to unlock that door of faith. And Peter must recognize, as we do, that the people that he's been ministering to and the people he's been encountering, uh, those, those ministries are mirroring, mirroring, in a lot of ways, Christ's ministry. People, Peter must recognize that. I do, and I'm sure you do as well. As we looked last week at Aeneas, there's this paralytic that Peter heals, and many people, many people come to the Lord. And then there's this woman, Tabitha, that is raised back to life. And her name, Tabitha, sounds so much like what Jesus says to that little girl, uh, Talitha Kum, uh, a little girl, I tell you, get up. It sounds so similar. Peter must have these things in mind. And now we're going to see Peter, he's going to meet this centurion, this man named Cornelius. So as he heals a paralytic and he raises Tabitha, and he's going to encounter this centurion, we see that people turn to the Lord. In Acts 9.35, that's what it says. And many people believed in the Lord in Acts 9.42. And this centurion and his whole household are going to put their faith in the Lord. People need the Lord. And as this story unfolds, the gospel message, we recognize that the gospel message is to people. It's a message that is to people. It's not to angels, it's to people. And it's from people. In other words, Patrick, you mentioned it before, before I came up. It's, it's to be given by people. An angel comes and gives this message to Cornelius and tells him to go and send for Peter. The angel could have come and shared the gospel, but that's not how God has ordained it. God has ordained that people would share the gospel. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ and and, and how does that happen? It happens through people. So the, the message of the gospel is to people, it's from people, and it is for people. It is not for angels, this salvation that we have in Christ. It's for people because people need the Lord. Healthy people, sick people, handicapped people, mourning people, grief-stricken people, happy people need the Lord. Religious people and irreligious people need the Lord. And Cornelius is one such person. Verse 10, now there was a man at Caesarea, or if you're a King James reader, there was a certain man. I like that. Cornelius is a certain someone. I got three points to this message and it breaks down the same way the title of the message does. People is my first point. Need is my second point. And the Lord is my third point. Cornelius is a person. 
Cornelius is a certain someone. You know, in God's eyes, everybody is a somebody. And what a message that is for the world we live in today. In God's eyes, everybody is a somebody. And there's no one that is a nobody from God's perspective. How, how healing that message would be in a world today where people are trying to find their identity on how people view them or on how other people value them. But we need to find our identity in Christ. In God's eyes, everybody is a somebody. There's a certain someone here named Cornelius. And it's this man that Peter is, is going to come and see. And this idea that in God's eyes, everybody is somebody is the very thing that Peter is about to come to un, an understanding of. Look at verse 34. I know you're looking at Acts 10.1. Look at Acts 10.34. When Peter finally meets Cornelius, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality or of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, the, this is Peter's language to that phrase we're all familiar with hearing, and maybe you've said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. None of us come to Jesus with something to offer Him. We come to Jesus because He has something for us. We need Him. Peter's going to acknowledge that no one is to be considered unclean. There is no partiality with God, no favoritism. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to condemnation, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when it comes to salvation, all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile people need the Lord. Certainly, well, let me stop right there for a second. Peter's going to come see uh, Cornelius. I saw a title of a message with regard to what we looked at last week uh, with uh, Peter going and ministering to Aeneas and going and ministering and, and raising Tabitha where those people were grief-stricken that Tabitha had died. And the title of the message was, and I began to listen to it just a couple of minutes. I realized I don't, I don't have time. I never got back to it. But the title of the message struck me. And the title of the message was this. I'm not supposed to be here. That was the title of the message. With regard to Peter, he's staying with Simon the Tanner. This Tanner would have been an unclean individual that Simon shouldn't be staying in his house. God is preparing Peter as Peter's ministering to these individuals, and Peter recognizes that this ministry is mirroring Christ. Now he's there in Joppa, and he, how he gets it to Simon the Tanner's house, we don't know, but there he is with this person that he would not have stayed with not that long ago. But um, I ask you to consider this. Simon the Tanner and Cornelius would have been people that would have, it would have been challenging for Peter to think, how do I interact with this individual? And I'm asking you to consider this. Consider the most challenging person in your life right now. We all have challenging people in our lives. Maybe. I have fewer and fewer of them all the time. But <laughs> maybe you have challenging people in your life in some way, shape, or form. Consider the most challenging person you have in your life right now. And what I'm saying to you today with this message is, 
And it might be someone you've never even met personally, right? It could be with someone you see on the news. It could be with someone that you, you recognize, man, I really have a hard time understanding how to think about that individual or something. And the focus of this message and what I want to say to you is that people need the Lord. That individual that come to your mind, that individual needs the Lord. Cornelius needs the Lord. But there's no difference between uh, Jew or Gentile with regard to salvation. People need the Lord. But God's elect nation was to be a blessing to all nations, and they are. Salvation is of the Jews. Jesus says it plain to the woman at the well. Salvation is of the Jews in John 4.22. And Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, but He's our Messiah as well. He's our Savior as well. And He... and, and, and And God is the one true God, right? He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Up up until this point, up until Acts chapter 10, there's probably between nine, people have different views on this, there's somewhere between nine and 12 years has transpired between the day of Pentecost. That's how much time has gone by. The church is somewhere between nine and 12 years old. And the apostles were told that you were to go. You were to go and to make disciples of where? All nations. Nine or twelve years have gone by, and they've, they've spread out some. The gospel is, is flooded through Jerusalem. It's gone to Judea, into Samaria, and it's moved out from there, and people have been scattered, and the gospel's spreading. But Peter's going to open this door of opportunity to the gospel of the gospel for the Gentiles. And it's just so interesting to me that, you know, when we were looking at Philip back a little while ago, Philip was traveling around... He went to Azotus, Azotus, and he ends up going up through until he gets to Caesarea. That's where we're at today. That's an image of ancient Caesarea right there by the sea. It looks beautiful. love to go see that. But that's where Philip is. If I'm understanding things correctly, he's still living there because we find him later on in Acts. He's still there. Philip is still there. Philip the evangelist is still there. But God is going to send Peter to evangelize Cornelius and his household. This is a big deal. It's not going to be Philip. It's going to be Peter. The door to the, of the gospel to the Gentiles is going to be open and Peter's got the key to open that door. There can't be two churches. There's one church. One church made up of Jew and Gentile. He's going to unlock the door with the keys he was given uh, back in Matthew 16, 19 when Peter acknowledges who Jesus is. This says to his, his, his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Some say this, some say that. But who do you say that I am, Peter? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, um, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because, because um, God has revealed this to you. I forgot the rest of the verse. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God has revealed this to you. And he goes on to say, uh, that uh, upon this rock, upon this rock of truth, that I am the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Upon this rock of truth, I will build my church. And he goes on to say to Peter in Matthew sixteen nineteen, "I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven." And Peter's got the keys of the kingdom. He's going to go unlock the door of faith for the Gentiles. Paul, when he's in uh, in Acts fourteen. That they don't need to turn there. Him and Barnabas have gone on a missionary journey and they're so excited about seeing the Gentiles come to faith and they come in to report some of those things that are going on. 
And he, and he says this in Acts 14.27, how, how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And you get to Acts 15.7, and, and, and the, the people uh, that are of a Pharisaical mindset are thinking these Gentiles should become Jews, they should be circumcised, they should do this, they should do that, and they're arguing about what should happen. And Peter begins to speak into that turmoil there, and he says this after much. It says this about Peter after much discussion. Peter got up and addressed them, brothers. You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. It's Peter that's going to go open this door. There's going to be one church. It's not going to be two separate churches, Jew and Gentile. It's going to be one church. And he's speaking there in Acts fifteen seven about his time with Cornelius. But this story, Cornelius' story, his story, is a story of two Simons, right? There's Simon the Tanner and Simon Peter. And it's a story of two cities. There's Joppa and there's Caesarea. And it's a story of two peoples, Jew and Gentile. And it's a story of two men, really. It centers around Peter and Cornelius as this plays out. And it's a story of two visions. Cornelius has a vision comes of an angel and, and, and Peter's going to see this vision of a sheet let down from heaven. All those things, two Simons, two cities, two peoples, two men, two visions, but one God at work and one message of salvation to give and one way of salvation and one faith and one spirit and one baptism. One. But we're talking about the fact that people need the Lord. And there's this certain man, Cornelius. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius. Or there was a certain man at Caesarea. Well, Cornelius seems to know, as Howard read, and if you followed along, it seems that Cornelius seems to know something about God. And we're learning some things about Cornelius. God knows all there is to know about Cornelius. He knows everything about Cornelius. There's nothing about Cornelius God does not know. He knows his location because he sends an angel right to where Cornelius is. And God knows right where you're sitting right now. He knows your location physically. And he knows where you're at spiritually. And he knows what's on your heart and mind. He knows every single thing about us. He knows our griefs. He knows our sorrows. He knows our burdens. And he absolutely loves us. He absolutely loves us. But he sends this angel right to where he is. You know, in Acts 17, 24, I won't go through all these verses. I will. Acts 17, 24 through 27, it says, The God who made the world and all things in it. This is, this is Paul on Mars Hill. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Now there's an interesting contrast, isn't there? Talking about the fact that people need the Lord. And here it says, as though He needed anything. God doesn't need anything. We need Him. He doesn't need anything, but we need Him. Since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, and He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, Cornelius is living in Caesarea because God had determined the boundaries of his habitation. Same with you and me. For in him we live and move and exist. 
Oh, wait a minute. Verse 27. That they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. People need the Lord. In Isaiah 55, 6, that verse I just read, verse 27, talks about people seek, that God is desiring that people might seek after Him and grope for Him, that they might find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. You know, that's not just a one-off verse. There's other verses that talk about that. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek God while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. You know, Cornelius knows that there's only one true God. He knows that about God. There's just one God, but God knows all about Him. God knows His name. God knows His name. Cornelius' name might mean horn. I don't know that for sure, but it might be horn. Here's this centurion. This is a Roman soldier. As a centurion, he would have been a leader of a hundred guys. He would have not been the weakest soldier in the group of soldiers. He would have been a soldier that was able to do the job. God knows all about him. He knows his name. He knows yours too. He knows he knows you by name. He knows his occupation. He's a leader of a hundred men. He's a man in authority. He understands authority. He's a man who knows about being under authority. I heard a message by Adrian Rogers uh, some time ago. I've listened to it a couple of times. I don't know the title of the message, but it, he says something like this. You'll never be in authority until you, until you learn how to be under authority, and he may take that, I don't know where he, what text he's using, he might be referring to the centurion that meets Jesus. Another centurion who knows something about being under authority, because he, he has a servant that is sick and sends for G, and goes to meet Jesus to say, heal, will you heal my servant? And, and Jesus is going to come into his home, and this centurion says to Jesus, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to you, to this one go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. And Jesus says, I've not found such faith in all of Jerusalem. I've not found such faith. This man's faith was tremendous. But this is another centurion like that. This, is, this centurion would be a man who understands authority, a man who knows about being under authority. God knows his name, knows his, 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 his occupation. He knows where he lives. He knows his character, and his character is described for us. He says that he's a devout man. He's a devout man. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household. What a word, a devout man. You know, Peter uses the same word in 2 Peter 2.9 when he writes this, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly out of temptations. That word godly there is the same word. The Lord knows how to rescue the devout out of temptations. It's the same word. Devout is pious or reverent. It's made up of Two words, you, you, and sebo. 
Usibo, I'm not pronouncing that right probably, but it's made up of two words. The U means well or well done or rightly. And the Sibo means to worship, to reverence, to hold in awe, to venerate, to personally esteem. So when it says this was a devout man, he well personally esteemed God. And not just any God. The God, the definite article. He esteemed the God. This is saying that he had well done worship based on the light that he had, coming out of a deep personal conviction. That is how Scripture describes this man, a devout man. In Romans 1.19, it says, it says of people, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. In that context, it's talking about the condemnation due to those who have uh, things that they, that they know about God that they are rejecting. In the context of Romans 1, 18, 19, and 20. But that evidence within Cornelius, he makes good use of. He makes good use of the light he has. Which makes me just want to say to you, you know, there is personal responsibility before a holy God with regard to the light we have been given. There is personal responsibility before God. We can boldly proclaim the message of the gospel is to people, it's for people, and it's to be given from people. We are to go out and proclaim the gospel to people. And we can do that confidently. Confidently, it's the message that people need. And there are things evident within people. People say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I can say, you're a liar. I know that's not true based on the Bible, based on what God says. I know you know that there's a God. You're rejecting Him. You're denying Him. But I know that you know that you know that there's a God and you're accountable to Him. And I am too. We're all accountable before God. But here's this man's character. He's described as a devout man. In, in Acts twenty two twelve, there's Ananias is there, and he's spoken of in this way. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having having a a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, he was he was another devout man. In other words, honoring God with all the light about God which you have in the moment. That's what devout is. Now that responsibility comes into our Christian life as well. Uh, with regard to how we live our Christian life. We, we, we've been saved. We know more things about God than we knew before we got saved. We know more things about God, hopefully, than we did last year and the year before, and the year before, and with that comes some responsibility. We're responsible before God. It, it says here that he feared, he feared God. And it's the God. Feared the God. The word the is definite article. He feared the one true God. It's the word feared there is the word we get phobia from. He was afraid, awestruck, terrified. He, he, it was that. It's that word. 
Some people have a fear of spiders. Some people have a fear of electricity. Some people have a fear of flying. Some people have a fear of man. Some people have a fear of conflict. If I was to ask each one of you what's the thing you fear most other than God, you might be able to write something in the blank. And there are irrational fears. Maybe you have one of them. But there are rational fears. There's a healthy respect for something. If I said to you, I fear electricity, I don't fear it like I'm worried that electricity is going to come and fry me right now out of, the, out of the walls. I have a healthy respect for electricity. I've been zapped a few times and I know I've got to watch what I'm doing and I should probably find someone else to do it. This, this is a healthy reverence for God. He has that, Cornelius does. He's not cavalier about the fact that there is a God and he knows it. In Psalm 36, 1 and 2, it says this, Concerning the sinfulness of the wicked, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Wow. That is the sinfulness of the wicked. No fear of God before their eyes. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or to hate his own sin. This... this is the sinfulness of the wicked. No fear of God before his eyes, and in his own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate his own sin. Cornelius is a man who is aware that he is a sinner. He's aware of that reality. He doesn't know what to do about it, but he's aware he's a sinner. The fear of the Lord is a healthy respect there are irrational fears, but the fear of the Lord is a healthy respect for a someone. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a healthy fear that leads to salvation. Um, in Acts 15.8, I already mentioned Peter in Acts 15.7 talking about how the gospel came to the Gentiles through him. He goes on to say that God knows the heart. And God who knows the heart testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. God knows the heart. We don't. But God knows Cornelius' heart. And it's obvious in this text. God knows his heart. We don't know people's hearts. We don't. But God does. We don't know our own hearts. Often. But God knows the heart. But he, he, he's a devout man who fears the Lord, it says. Devout and one who feared the God with his whole household. There were others like him in Scripture. In Acts 13, 16, I think it's Paul stands up and he says, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. You who fear, there are other God-fearers, non-Jewish God-fearers. And Paul addresses them while he's preaching in Antioch. This idea of not fearing God. I was listening to something just out of curiosity. It was a little snippet. Some, uh, and I don't know who the guy was. I was going to look at it again before I... I'm going to share this with you because it fits. There was a guy, a professor of some kind, and there was a young college student, 20-something or other, and I'm not knocking his age, the college student was anti-Christopher Columbus. I hate Christopher Columbus. 
I hate all things Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus was the worst guy in the world, and you should hate him too, and why don't you hate him? That was the, this isn't political, this is just what was going on here, okay? And this, and this college professor said to him, to this young man, he says, do you even know about Christopher Columbus? Do you know about the history of Christopher Columbus? And he was kind of schooling him on, yeah, he did that, but the reason he did that is because he wanted to bring the gospel. He wanted to bring the message of the gospel. And the reason he, he conceded to some things that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise is so, he could, so that he could accomplish this. And then this young man was kind of berating this professor, and this professor said to him, you are standing on the shoulders of greatness, and you think that you are flying. What he was saying to that young guy is, you're standing on the shoulders of all these people that come before you, great men. Without, in other words, without Christopher Columbus, you wouldn't be standing here talking to me about why you hate Christopher Columbus. The nation wouldn't be here. Same, same for us. Same for us. We're standing on the shoulders of, of, of wonderful people that God put in place. Um, there were others like him. God-fearers. God-fearers that, that recognize... Well, just consider Cornelius' household. They recognized something in Cornelius. Cornelius was able to lead his household to the Lord through his witness to them, even before coming to faith in Christ. His witness to them about that, the fact that there was one true God impacted them for eternity. So this, this is descriptive language about this man Cornelius. He's described as an influential, influential man with all his household. Not only a strong, godly, devout, what I mean by that, godly, and, and had personal convictions, he also shared them with his household. He shared those convictions with the household. Uh, uh, quick plug for prayer meeting. If you're not coming to prayer meeting, you're really missing out. This last Wednesday night, not if you can't make it, I'm not trying to pressure you, but it is a joy. This last Wednesday night, uh, Judy, I'm putting you on the spot without asking you, Judy shared. Um, um, I just lost my thought there. Judy shared, let me look at this paper and see if I can get my thought back, about, uh, uh, about someone that was trying to keep their child from doing something they ought not to do. And we had to be very forceful about it. And we were praising the Lord for that individual, that they were willing to do the difficult thing. It wasn't an easy thing, but they did the right thing. Cornelius would be that kind of guy. He's an influential man. And he's a generous man. He gave alms to the people, it says. He gave alms. He was generous. We saw that... Um, Dorcas or Tabitha was an alms doer. He's an alms giver, this man. Salvation is of the Jews, but it was to go out because salvation is found in Christ alone. Salvation is for all, even though not all will come. They were to, the disciples were told, go to make disciples of every nation, and God is lining it up to bring the gospel to this man that was seeking God with his whole heart and the reason God was doing that is because God knew his heart. God knew his heart. Look, 
I know this to be true from personal experience. When I sought God for real, when I left all this, all the clutter behind, when I said, God, and I didn't say it exactly this way, but God, I'm going to let you do business with me and I'm going to do business with you and there's not going to be any fluff between. There's not going to be any chatter. There's not going to be any fibbing. There's not going to be any, any whitewashing. There's not going to be any pretend. All that's over with, God. I need to know. I need to know you. And when I got serious with God, God got serious with me and He revealed Himself to me through His Word. And God still operates that way today. People need the Lord. And they need to know that they can come into a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. But, but there, is, there is this idea, you have to set the fluff behind. You have to set the chatter behind. We can lie to each other. We can lie to ourselves, but we can't lie to God. And God knows our hearts, and God knows Cornelius' heart. All these things. And he's a praying man, Cornelius. And he prayed to God continually. What a statement. He prayed to God continually. This is a non-believer that prays to God continually. So, that's the first point, people. The second point, shorter. I want to talk about need. People need the Lord. Cornelius is a person. We're people. We meet people. All people need the Lord. All of Cornelius' household needed the Lord. Cornelius is a certain man and he's given a clear vision. He's a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God. In other words, this isn't pretend. He's not making this up. This isn't make-believe. He clearly saw what he saw, even though we can't explain it. And he might have had a hard time explaining it. He does explain it to some guys. He tells them all that, all that happens. But this is a clear vision he has. An angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius calls him by name. For all these qualities that are commendable, that we just went through, all this commendable character, all this virtue, you might say, all this religious practice. He prayed, he gave alms, he led his household well, he was a devout man. For all that stuff, Cornelius was still lacking. He had a need. People need the Lord. He has a need. And he knows it. Peter knows it. Or I mean, uh, rather, Cornelius knows he has a need. In chapter 11, uh, just turn over to chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. This is Peter recounting back to the other brothers about this event. And he says in chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, it says this, And he reported to us, that's Cornelius, how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Cornelius has a need and he's aware of it. He knows he needs to be saved. When Peter comes and gives the message, the message is Jesus lived. He did wonderful things. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and if you believe on him, you will receive forgiveness of sins. That's Peter's message to Cornelius. And as soon as Peter says that, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them and they believe. Cornelius puts the dots together and says, I, I, I know I've got a need, I know I've got a need, I know I've got a need. Peter says, 
Those who believe in Jesus Christ will receive forgiveness of sins and forgiveness of their sins. And Cornelius says, that's what I need. I need that. People need the Lord. They need forgiveness of sins. They need the Lord. While the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it goes, that's Proverbs 9.10, it goes on to say, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's what Cornelius needed. He needed the knowledge of the Holy One. He needed the knowledge of Jesus. He needed the knowledge of how to be right with God. All his efforts with regard to the light God had given him left him, left him knowing he stood in great need. When this angel comes in, it says in verse 4, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he's terrified. He says, what is it, Lord? What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Wow. What a statement. The curious case of Cornelius, right? But God knows his heart. And that's to the third point, the Lord. People need the Lord. God knows Cornelius' need. God knows that he needs the Lord. So God sends an angel and gives this clear vision about the ninth hour of the day, probably the time of prayer. Cornelius is probably in prayer when this comes. And he gives an audible voice. He calls him by name. And the Lord has his attention. There he is, terrified, being much alarmed. Then we'll see what the angel says to him. And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. That verse just should stop us. What would it be that you would want to come up before God regarding yourself? That's just a thought I had as I read that. And Examine my heart before the Lord. What is it I would want that would come up, that would ascend before God as a memorial about myself? And then you could go on with that. What is ascending before God with regard to me? But what his, his prayers and His alms have ascended as a memorial before God. It's a record before God. God's aware of this man and what he does. I mean, when you look, consider what this angel says, and he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God, it is obvious that God is seeker-sensitive. Now, I know the seeker-sensitive movement is a big problem, and it's a big phrase that has problems with it. I get that. But God says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen. And the gospel is for everyone. It is the testimony of John when he writes in John 1, 2, and 2 about Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's the testimony of Peter when he writes in 2 Peter 3, 9 that God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's the testimony of Paul in 1 Timothy 4.10. We have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe God's desire is that people would come to know the Lord because people need the Lord. In Isaiah 45, 19, 
if you read that verse, you, you, you learn that those who seek do not seek in vain. Those who truly seek after God do not seek Him in vain. Do you know, for Cornelius it was the case. For me, when I came to faith in Christ, it was the case. When I started seeking after God, I didn't seek after Him in vain. God revealed Himself to me. His Word came alive to me. It cut me open. The Word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I felt that. I was experiencing that before I knew that verse existed. I looked at the people in the Old Testament. I'm just reading in Genesis and I'm thinking, oh my, that sin, that yuck, that's in here. I got it all over me. Those who seek God do not seek in vain. Same thing with us as believers. We're going along our Christian life. Maybe you, maybe you got a dry spell. Maybe there's some difficulty in your life. God uses those to get us on our face before Him in truth, in spirit and in truth. He uses them to bring us to that place. He's, none of those things are wasted. Those, those desert spells, those dry spells, they're not wasted by God at all. He uses all of that. He starts lopping off things and said, yep, you've been worried about this, you don't need that. You've been worried about that, you don't need that. What you need is this, this relationship restored. God uses all of that. He uses the difficulties that come our way. He uses all of it. And here the Lord gives clear instructions to him. Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. What a statement. God values the sincerity. God values sincerity of heart. But sincerity of heart does not save Cornelius. He still needs the Lord. So these instructions are this. In verse 5, Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. Now the angel could have just gave him the gospel, but it's not the angel's job. It's Peter's job. Peter's got to come do it. It's not the angel's job. It's your job. It's my job. It's our job to proclaim the gospel. Now send the man to Joppa. What a divine appointment this is going to be. Joppa is 25 to 30 miles south of Caesarea along the same coastline. Cornelius is going to send three guys down to Joppa, fetch Peter, at the exact moment Peter is seeing this vision and he gets up from seeing this vision, these guys are going to come in the door or they're going to call from outside the door. Is Peter there? Peter's going to come and he's going to go with them back up to Caesarea. And by the time he gets back up to Caesarea, Cornelius has got his whole household gathered there. Everybody. Do you know there are just no coincidences with God? When God is on the move, when people get real with God, when people are, have a sincere heart before God, you recognize there's no coincidences with God. There's none. He works out all these things that we might have a relationship with Him. Praise the Lord. People need the Lord. So not only does the Lord know where Cornelius is, He knows where Peter is as well. Send to Joppa for one called Simon. He's at Simon the Tanner's house. God's omniscience sure comes to the forefront through this. And Cornelius is obedient to the Lord. He's obedient. He doesn't waste any time. When the angel who was speaking to him left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout, here's that word devout again, a devout soldier 
you can be devout with different things. A devout soldier of those who are his personal attendants. He's not going to waste any time and he's not going to waste any energy. He's going to make sure he sends the right guy and he's going to make sure it's not going to be a game of telephone where you, you whisper, if we all whispered one saying in the ear and got all the way back around, by the time it got over here, it would be a different saying. He's going to make sure that the message gets to where it needs to be. He's obedient to the instructions he's been given. And it reminds me of that verse in Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Cornelius was real with the Lord. He wanted to hear from the Lord. The Lord sends an angel his way to give him a message and he's obedient to the instruction he's been given. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And Cornelius tells them all that happened in verse 8 because people need the Lord. He tells them everything. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Probably a day and a half walk. They need to know what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I had this thought, do you think there's a bit of excitement in this household? There's some excitement here, right? That God is on the move. We've been praying. You guys see me praying. My whole household sees me praying. These hundred men that I lead see me praying. They have questions for me. I don't have answers for them. But God is on the move. This household has got to be excited. They're so excited. In fact, that's what we're going to see. Peter's going to come and he, they're going to say, it, is good, it was good of you to come. Now tell us what you have to tell us. And they don't even know what it's going to be yet. Just lay it on us. We need to hear it. This is a story of great interest and of great impact. It's a story of inclusion, not exclusion. And a story of a man who has tremendous influence over those that are in his company. And we are to know and to be reminded of the truth one last time that all people need the Lord. And with that, let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time in Your Word. Father, would You use what was proclaimed to build Your church. People do need to... People do need the Lord and they need to hear the gospel. That's how they come to faith in the Lord is through hearing of the gospel. And it's us that you've tasked with that corporately, individually. And Father, we need your help in it. Would you uh, provide opportunities for us and help us to walk through those doors that you open? In Jesus' name I pray for his glory. Amen.